Welcome to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast with co-hosts Jacob and Terry. Teen Financial Freedom is a personal finance blog run by teens who are on a mission to equip their peers with the knowledge, resources, and understanding they need to become financially free for the rest of their lives. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest on here with us, Caleb Goliams. He is the founder and CEO of Better Wealth, which is essentially, I don't know, do you call it like a financial planning company? What would be the description there? We're a financial coaching, education, and planning company, you could say. And it's a pleasure to be on here with you guys. Yeah, for sure. We're so happy to have you. So today, we're going to be diving into Caleb's story, his background, and how he got into the financial niche. And then from there, we're going to kind of talk about how Better Wealth and Teen Financial Freedom essentially partnered up to provide this podcast to you guys. So Caleb, do you just want to start off by sharing your story with us? Like just from the very beginning, you know, what's your life been like and how did you end up where you are today? This podcast is really special to me because one of the reasons I want to support you guys in whatever I can is my life was just totally big time change. When I was around 14, 15 years old, I got my first job working at a chicken farm. And so for your listeners, just imagine you going and getting a chicken sandwich. A chicken sandwich had to go through a process from being a live chicken to not a live chicken. And so that was one of the jobs that I did was working at at a chicken plant. I started making money and someone gave me a little book called The Richest Man in Babylon. And that book, you guys, was, it just like opened my eyes to some money principles and got me fired up for this concept that our money can start working for us and some just key principles of paying yourself first. What that translated to is me starting to invest in the stock market, me learning about option trading, me saving money, me like just being more aware. I think one of the key things is you got to be aware. And then when you're aware, you start seeing things and patterns. It's like when you're driving a car, you're like, wow, a lot of people have the same car that I did, but you don't notice other cars or patterns like that. And so what ended up happening was I got a job at a bank when I was 17 years old. And this is a cool story because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was 17. I wasn't that great of a student. I wanted to do something in the money space, but I didn't have much clarity. And I sat down with a guy. His name was Dick Judy. He actually passed away about two years ago. And I was so nervous, you guys. I was so nervous for this meeting. I had uh, questions pre-written out and it was cold Wisconsin day. And I remember driving up to the restaurant and forgetting to turn off my car. That's how focused I was on like the conversation. And I remember sitting down with him and within five minutes, he just was like, made me laugh and he made me feel more comfortable. And he said, young man, you need more experience. So he picked up his phone, got me a job at Community First Bank, which is a small community bank in central Wisconsin. And from there, I worked as a teller. I worked my way up and worked in some marketing, did some loans, and then ultimately worked in our investment department as an investment assistant. Fast forward, when I was 19 years old, I was still working there. And the guy that was running our bank's investment department took another job. And at 19 years old, I took on the big responsibility of running the investment department. And that translated into, for me, learning from a ton of people. I took local networking and took it national and started calling authors, started calling people that were just really connected, knew what they were talking about with money and just asked them, begged them. I think they felt pity on me at first. Like, we're going to help this kid that wants to make a difference. And I started learning a ton of things. I made a mission statement uh, that pretty much read to help people see and reach their highest potential. And, and I was like burdened by the fact that I, like, I exist to want to help people live 
to their God-given potential. Money is a way to actually help that and get people to see what they're capable of. And then that just translated into like one day knowing that I needed to do more. And so I graduated college. I was 21. I was sitting in the corner office of my bank, not my bank, but the bank I was working for. I was just thinking about like, this is the time for me to take action. I really do believe there's better ways to share this information and to coach people. And I'm learning all about control, compounding, better ways to help people maximize their wealth. And so I just had this little voice <laughs> speak to me and say, Caleb, like, I think you got to like not live life with regret. And fast forward, decided to leave the bank to start Better Wealth. And a lot's happened since then. But we are an online company that not only educates, but coaches people on how to maximize cash flow, how to better grow their money, how to be more in control of their wealth. And now we are in all 50 states. We have a team of 13, 14 people and counting. And we're just trying to change the game and help show people a better way as it relates to money. I get fired up about what you guys are doing because there's not enough young people that are being encouraged and challenged to understand how money works, thinks about money. And yet our whole entire life is based around money in a sense. We might not want to say that, but the truth is most people are doing something today because they have to, to have money. And the people that understand how to use it as a tool, it's a game changer. Yeah, for sure. That is so awesome and such an inspirational story. Let's dive into that mission statement real quick, because I've heard you talk about this before in other podcasts. And I think it's something that I really admire about um, not only you, but your entire company, how you guys are just such mission-driven people. And you are, a word you guys use a lot is intentional. You're very intentional about what you're doing. And so you already mentioned the mission statement, but can you kind of dive into that a little bit deeper and kind of share where that comes from? came from a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And Stephen Covey in that book talks about thinking with the end in mind. And he has people go through an exercise that if this is like you're, you're at your funeral and you're like maybe like up in heaven watching down and you're seeing what people are saying, like what are they saying about your life? And they're probably not talking about how you are super successful or all the money that you made and all these things. They're probably talking about something deeper. I was 17, 18 years old when I was reading this. And I'm like, what do I want my life to be? Like, what do I want my life to be like? If I had a tombstone, what would I want on there? And it just boiled down to like, I see so many people walking around, not living an intentional life. And what do I mean by intentional living? I mean like living life intentionally, making choices and making a difference. I feel like so many people are just, they have no intention, I would say, in how they're living and thinking. And so I'm like, man, like, I believe there's so much potential in people, but they don't even see it for themselves. Why is that? Well, you could look at health, you could look at spiritual aspects, and you can also look at money. I think there are a lot, all of it's very much tied together. That's where this idea of intentional living, highest potential, this idea of money comes in. I'm not gonna say that money is the most important thing in your life. I'm gonna say for those people that get their money thing figured out, a lot of other areas click quicker. And I know people that ha see the potential they have, Jacob, but are unable to truly live that out because they're a slave to something else. And a lot of it is a slave to money because they haven't mastered it as a tool. That really hits home. It reminds me of a Zig Ziglar quote I just heard earlier today, actually. He was saying something to the effect of, I really like the things money can buy, but I love more the things money can't buy, in a sense. So but he's basically just highlighting how you know money is an important part, is an important aspect of, of life. You just can't ignore it because if you master it, then it gives you the ability to enjoy the things okay. that money can't buy. You know, I have a kind of a two-part question here because one thing that fascinates me about your story, uh, firstly, is that 
you got started in finance so young, you know, a lot like, you know, like us here at uh, Teen Financial Freedom and our readers. But then I see the, when I share your story with some people, they're always like shocked. You know, a 19 year old kid was in charge of an investment department at a bank and you started from a teller or even before that you met a person who gave you that job or uh, helped connect you into that job. So I'm curious, were there any principles that you used as a young person from say like 15 to 19 or 15 to 20 that used like principles or daily habits that you used that built you up from where you were to where you ended up? I'm going to say a couple of things that will be super good for your audience. First thing is proactiveness. If you can be someone that can ask questions, that can go out and meet people, I call it like the youth effect. If you're young and ambitious and you reach out to people, like if you're young and ambitious and reach out to me, I will go out of my way to help you. And there's so many people out there that want to help, but you have to be proactive. I'm not searching on LinkedIn, oh, who's young and who can I help? I'm not doing that. But a person that can be proactive, they get will be get so far ahead. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing. The other thing is learn how to be the most valuable that you can be. Think about it. Money follows value. Money follows value. The people that are paid more at a job are usually creating more value for that company mm-hmm. than a, just an entry-level job. For instance, as a teller, I got paid $8 an hour, okay? Mm-hmm. In the investment department, I got paid more than $8 an hour. I'll just say that, okay? Why? Because in the bank, as a teller, there are more people that could do that role. And so it was a great place to start. But when I was at the bank, I could care less about the money I was making. All I was focused on is how can I make myself the most valuable I could be? Mm-hmm. So I learned how to do marketing. I learned how loans worked. I started networking. I worked for free, like I was the HR nightmare. My mom, I love her to death, but she was like, Caleb, like you might want to find a job that you can get paid more money because State Farm and other companies would offer me $13, $14 an hour. Why was I only making eight? And she's like, well, why don't you get another part-time job because you're working for free because the bank would only pay me for so many hours, but I would work for free because I wanted to learn. And for me, Terry, it had nothing to do with the money I was making. It had everything to do with the value I was learning. And the more specialized knowledge I could have, the more money I can make long-term because that specialized knowledge could transfer to value for somebody. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm harping on this is I think we live in a world where we disconnect money from value creation. So mm-hmm. money follows value in investing. If you make money investing, that is a value creation. Mm-hmm. Starting a business, this podcast, working for somebody. So value is the first thing. The second thing that I learned is the importance of leverage. And what does leverage mean? Leverage is essentially maximizing something. And so some people can make money leveraging money, whether it's taking loans out and put investing in real estate, or um, that's essentially what options are. You're able to use leverage and make money, but there's, there can be some risk to that. I think one of the most profound things that I've learned is wealthy people or people that have a lot of influence know how to leverage things. You can leverage people, meaning like, you can have other people on your team and you can use other people's strengths, like what you guys are doing, to create a message where one of you would just be hard. You can leverage money, meaning like that's essentially investing, but not all investments are created equal. You can leverage media. I mean, our conversation hopefully is providing value for us, but if one other person listens to that, that's a form of leverage. And I bet you guys have hundreds, if not thousands of people that 
read your blogs, listen to your podcast. That's a form of leverage. That's, that's doing one input and getting multiple outputs. So these are a couple themes that are like, if you can be proactive, if you can be focused on how can I create value for someone? How, how are their lives better off for having me or my product or service in their life? And then when that's the case, how do I maximize that? How do I take that one thing, one input, and give it to as many people as possible? If you can master that and if you can think about that, and if you understand that relationships are so much more valuable than most things. You understand those principles and you treat people well, you're a go-giver. I'm telling you, money will never be an issue. And for you being young, even listening to this podcast, you are so far ahead of your peers. So congratulations and pat yourself on the back because I, I'm sincere when I say that. I'm concerned about our generation, but I'm so fired up for people like you that are mature enough, or I could say weird enough, to have a blog and a podcast encouraging people to get this right. I'm so proud of you guys. I appreciate that. That reminds me of, I think it was a chapter or a section in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, the book, where he was essentially, I think it was Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, who was encouraging him and his friend to work for free, I think it was, or work for a really low amount of money. Yep. And he, was, he was essentially trying to teach the same principle of it's, it's the experience and the value that you learn from the job that will earn you more money later on. So it was hard for them to grasp at the time, but I think it really paid off for them. That's you can get compensated for results or outcomes versus an hourly rate. It's obviously a good place to be in. Not everyone can be there overnight. That's why I'm a big fan of working for free. If it's done well and you're proactive and you have a vision for it, or I'm a big fan of working strategically because at the end of the day, don't get in the mindset of like, I'm going to trade time for money. But early on, you might have to do that, but you have to make yourself valuable. You know what I'm saying? And so that not all jobs are created equal. And you could look at four or five years that I gave to Community First Bank and you could say, Caleb, you could have made more money in other jobs. And that is a correct statement over that time period. But right now, we are experiencing a lot of opportunities, a lot of wealth. We're able to employ 13 plus people. And that's on the back of the relationships and things that I learned and having the humility to get paid less but to be quite frank, I was paid to learn all this stuff. So I feel like I almost stole, <laughs> I feel kind of guilty that I got paid to learn this stuff. And that's the mindset that we need to have when we're young. I promise you, if you have that mindset and continue to sharpen the saw, you will be positioned in a place where your peers won't even be able to imagine, but it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. And there's, there's a second part to my question. Hopefully I'm not drawing this out too long, but there's a second part to my question in regards to your position at the bank. Because from an outsider's view, you know, you got this incredible position at a bank, I'm sure is paid you very well, considered like in comparison to almost any other job your peers at 19 or 20 would have had, right? I'm sure most people would have been uh, tempted just to sit there for yep. like a good 20, 30 years and just write out this, you know, solid income. They could probably get raises as time goes on and they'd be set for life. You know, they could retire easy. Like that is easy peasy, lemon squeezy, almost like you just made it at 19, right? So, I'm really curious. I'm really interested in the motivation you had behind quitting such a like a sweet position yep. and taking the risk to start Better Wealth. Like, what was the process you went through balancing those risk and rewards? I'm curious. It's a great question. I'm going to do my best to articulate this. So, one of my favorite quotes is by Alice in Wonderland in the book and movie when she's at the fork in the road and the cat asks her where she wants to go and she says she doesn't know. And the cat says, "If you don't know where you want to go, any road will get you there." I was. A naive at 21, but I very much had a mission, had a why, and I knew that I was in a place in my life that I had very little to lose. I wasn't married, didn't have any kids. I was living at home. 
I want that to sink in because some people are like too afraid to admit that. I, helping people with their money and Better Wealth has started me living at home. And so I was in this place and on one hand, you're totally right. I had it set. I had business cards and I had the corner office of a bank. Like no one was saying like, oh, 21 year old Caleb slacking. And I had great relationships and had the opportunity to make money. But it was very clear to me because of how the bank was set up, because of regulations, because of all the things that you know I'm learning, but it's kind of a conflict that if I were to do that, I would have to sit, sit tight, do my best to grow locally. But at the end of the day, I can only do so much. I was there and, and I, some of the things that I was afraid of is I was afraid of criticism. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of losing my money. It's like, that's not a really good position to be in. Like you're helping people with money and yet you fail. So I was afraid of that and I always wanted to do more, but that fear of what other people would think of me or what they would say of me or what the criticism I would get just kept me content. And then one day I just was like, you know what? I'm going to die someday. I'm going to die someday and there's no better time. Like I have nothing to lose. And the thing that I had to face was I had to face the fear of being criticized and what other people had thought. And up until that point, and I still struggle to this day, my identity, my emotions are built up on what other people think of me, which is a horrible place to be in, but most people are there. And I just remember like looking at myself in the mirror and saying, you know what, I'm going to live once in a hundred years. They're not going to be conscious and think about me. So at the end of the day, I have really nothing to lose. And I just refuse to live life with regret. I also am a big fan of Steve Jobs talk to Stanford. I think, and I'm not going to, I'm going to butcher his quote, but like if you kind of get in this rhythm and don't love what you're doing every single day, and there's a theme to that, do something different because we have one life. So I think the combination of one life, the combination of being mission driven, the combination of like facing my fears all came together. And at the end of the day, we had to be scrappy, but, and it was hard. And the first year there's multiple times where I was like, you know what, I should just maybe not do this, but I'm so grateful that I stuck with it. But I also want to remind the audience that I stayed at home the first year and we didn't spend almost any money. And I had $20,000 saved up for this time. So it wasn't something that it was just like a foolish, like I'm going to do this. There was a lot of activity that went into setting us, us up for success. But the big message that I want you to hear is like, don't live life with regret and like really be ultra, like lean into that and your discomfort because you only have one life. And the last thing I want is for you to feel like I played it safe, but at the end of the day, knowing that you had more in the tank. Yeah, I love that. I want to go back to that idea of being proactive because in a previous podcast episode, we were kind of talking about how sort of this low expectation for teens and a lot of adults kind of just think, you know, if you can pass middle school or high school or whatever, get good enough grades, maybe do a couple extracurriculars, you know, you're doing good for a teenager, but really we're capable of so much more. And that's kind of one of the reasons why we started this blog. But I think a lot of teens have great ideas. And like you were saying, they're capable of so much, but they just lack the, the capability to be proactive about it. And I think that's kind of how we stumbled upon this opportunity to meet you and to start this podcast. Because for those of you listening that don't know essentially how this worked was Terry listened to some sort of conference, or I'm not exactly sure what it was called, webinar or whatever, by Caleb. And afterwards, Terry was bold enough to reach out to Caleb and just you know start connecting with them. And from there, Terry eventually told him about Team Financial Freedom and what we were doing there. And that's when Caleb wanted to meet the team. And from there, offered to help us host this podcast and from there, you know, it's turned into this big thing, you know, we're already past, well, at this point, only like, I don't know, five or so episodes have come out, but we've recorded 
over 20 at this point, and we're just going to be plan to keep going for as long as we can. And I think there's just going to be so much value that we gain from this as we learn from other people. Like we get to meet these awesome mentors like Caleb. We have plans to meet a lot, a lot more cool people like that. And so I think there's going to be a lot of value created by this decision we made to start the podcast and the fact that Terry was very proactive about reaching out to Caleb. And so I guess from here, what are your long-term plans for Better Wealth? Like, What do you see as the end goal of Better Wealth? The reason Better Wealth has started is I really believe there's better ways to help people with their cash flow. I believe there's better ways to help people with the money that's going out via consumption, whether it's taxes, whether it's being just smarter, being more efficient with the money that we're losing, and having better strategies to save, invest, maximize, and create future cash flow. Better Wealth is how can we make this thing better? I believe there's better alternatives. I believe there's better ways to think about our money. And so the idea is we started, we're a company that if someone comes to us, we can help them, we can help model their financial situation and simplify it, and then also help them be in control. And on the back end, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how we connect every financial decision under one roof. Because at the end of the day, more efficiencies are where you can have more optimization. And optimization is taking your current situation and making it better. So if you take somebody that knows what they want, it, money's really simple. It's what, how much money are you making? How much money are you spending? This is, includes taxes, lifestyle, coffee, whatever, insurances, all that. And what money are you saving? And how's that money that you're saving and invested, how is that working for you long-term? And it's each section, those three sections can be optimized. And so the goal is to be able to better serve people, create a community, continue to raise the tide as it relates to education and make ourselves more valuable. So right now we're very much like a, a traditional firm. We do insurances, investments, we do cash flow coaching, but the idea is to bring on more opportunities like mortgages and fall we'll be able to do taxes and you know maybe do other types of insurances to make sure that we can better serve people as it relates to every financial decision they make. Man, that's crazy. I didn't realize you guys said all those other aspects of like a financial life in the work. By the way, for those of you listening, if you're interested in what Caleb was talking about in regards to a better way to manage your wealth, he has this book out there called The And Asset. Super good read. It's really small. So even if you don't like reading, you can get through it pretty easily in like a weekend. And he, in that book, he breaks down kind of the attributes, better way of wealth, what like the attributes it has and um, kind of breaks down some powerful concepts behind finance that I didn't even realize existed until he kind of opened my eyes to it. And I think some of that came from your work in the banking world, if I'm not mistaken. I have one question for you. I've heard you ask a lot of your podcast guests and I'm sure you already know what it is, but if today was your last day on earth, and you know, you're around your friends and family, what would be your one or two pieces of wisdom, advice, or just, I guess, just advice in general that you would give them? What would you want to make sure that you share with them? Thank you so much for asking that question. The reason I love that question is it can summarize someone's whole life and what they truly value. They can su potentially summarize the most valuable things that they hold sacred in that question. A, it's a ninja question. And so thank you for that. What I would say is number one, the things that I value most, faith and relationships and the fact that we are alive and which is an incredible blessing. We worry about a lot, but at the end of the day, we are alive during 
one of the greatest times to be alive. And if you're listening to this in, in America, I believe in the greatest country to be alive. And you start doing the odds of that, it's impossible. It's a miracle that people are alive. It's a miracle if you're listening to this. And yet, so many people are going through life as zombies and not appreciating every moment that we get. So I would just encourage people to number one, really get clear on what a fulfilled life looks like and don't sacrifice anything, like live a fulfilled life. And I believe a fulfilled life is serving God well, serving people well, and creating value in the world. Be honest, if true, like if this was my last day, I would just share the gratitude I have for everyone in the room and how they've made a difference in my life. That's what the last conversation would be like. Thanks, Caleb. We've had a blast of, of going through your story and the principles that you shared with us. I think if our audience can grasp these principles, it'll make a massive impact in their lives. And so I really hope, I hope it clicks with them. But with that, we really, really appreciate having you on and we look forward to working with you more in the future. Thank you for listening to the Teen Finance for Freedom podcast. We would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone who needs it. 